and we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and how I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Thanks everyone. I just did a quick pit stop to the kitchen because I've just been at Yarrawarra to preach this sermon and come straight from Yarrawarra here, but Cuz gave me an egg and bacon roll to enjoy on the way uh, back and it was not firm. And halfway between there and then I bit into it and it went like it was the best explosion of egg I've ever seen. So I just paused briefly so I didn't distract you too much with all the egg all over my shirt. But we're here. It's good. Uh, Also, I can see my Parramatta friend over there sitting in the corner. Good luck this afternoon, my brother. Um, Let's pray and then let's uh, dive into our last sermon on spiritual warfare. Dear Heavenly Father, we... Pardon? Oh, you do. Good. Yeah. Also, uh, apologies to any Penrith fans in the room. Hope you have a great day too. Don't know how that works out, offering both of you a great day, but I'll give it a crack. Anyway, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us, and we thank you that as we come to the end of this series in spiritual warfare, that you would help us to be deeply encouraged by the reality that we can be lived, uh, so live a life that is equipped by you, and that we might be able to partner with you as we grow Uh, strong in uh, living the life that Jesus has called us to when he said that he'd come to give us life and life to the full. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to approach approach the uh, passage that we had a look at a couple of weeks ago from just a bit of a different point of view. Uh, And because we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, I don't think we need to go over some of the detail of the passage in a lot of detail. Uh, If you are visiting with us for the first time or you're new to Soul Revival, we've just finished a series on Ephesians. And the reason that we're looking at this uh, again today is because 
Paul said last year something really helpful to me where he said sometimes it's really good that we read through books of the Bible but sometimes we skate over some things that are worth coming back to every now and again and going a bit deeper into and this idea of spiritual warfare is often really misunderstood by a lot of people and sometimes people don't think about it a lot or unfortunately sometimes people can tend to think about it even too much. So we kind of thought what is going on with spiritual warfare and the summary of it is uh, for those of uh, you who are here for the first time is that uh, there's three main things to keep in mind. The first is that Jesus has the victory. So when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he defeated Satan. There is a Satan, uh, there are demons, there is an evil kingdom that is opposed to God's kingdom and the spiritual world is very real. But Jesus defeated Satan on the cross and when he died and rose from the dead, he defeated his power over human beings because Satan is really interested in stopping people having a relationship with God. And the biggest thing that stops us having a relationship with God is our own sin. And the only power Satan has over us is our own sin. So Jesus has uh, been victorious over him on the cross, defeated him. So the second week we looked at the second part of this, which is Satan is defeated. What does that look like? And I used an analogy to summarise that uh, last week, which is um, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter describes the devil as like a lion, roaring lion, trying to prowl around looking to devour us. Some of you who are Christians might be familiar with that passage. But my analogy is that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he took out a big baseball bat and knocked the teeth of the lion out. So he, he, is, he is a risk and he's a threat to us as Christians, but he can't steal us from Christ. He can't take us from Christ. If we are a Christian, what we have done is we've accepted that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and, and, and we can say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and that means we get forgiven. So in Revelation 12, the, de the devil is described as the great accuser of human beings, trying to tell us all the time that we're guilty, we're guilty, we're guilty. But he loses that power over us when we're forgiven. So what we see in this passage today is what does it look like to live a forgiven life where we don't have to feel guilty anymore? where we can live in the victory that Christ has given us so we can be free to live life to the full. Because after all, Jesus himself said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. So this passage here in Ephesians summarises, uh, sorry, not summarises, is like a bookend of the book of Ephesians. And it's like the whole book of Ephesians is about this spiritual warfare, that Jesus has got the victory, that Satan has been defeated, and that we, those of us that are Christians, no longer in sin, we have... No, nothing to fear from Satan, but he is going to try and tempt us away from God and he's going to try and accuse us, okay? So with that in mind, how do we live in victory? Well, I want to approach this from a bit of a different angle. Have a bit of fun with this today, excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. Um, the angle I want to look at is that there's a lot of talk uh, in our world today about, you know, really healthy practices that we can do as human beings to have a healthy life. You may be aware of the well-being movement and there are some sketchy edges to the well-being movement but as a chaplain in a sporting club I've actually been quite involved with looking at well-being now for about six years and I think there's a lot of really helpful things to be learned from this idea of well-being because it talks about having holistic, a holistic life, health in all the aspects of your life and just to think about your life a bit more. I think it's the, the big summary of well-being is to, to slow down a bit and don't just respond all the time to life, actually kind of take control a bit. And in our everyday lives, there's kind of five 
things that wellbeing talks about that I want to just summarise. One of them is practice self-care. So kind of look after yourself. And the idea of that is like, you know, the old, uh, the old thing they say in aeroplanes, when you're flying in an aeroplane, they say if we lose cabin pressure, which always sounds terrifying to me, but if we lose cabin pressure, there's going to be some mask fall from the ceiling. And they always say, don't they, put your mask on first before you put someone else's mask on. So wellbeing's interested in saying, yeah, look after other people, but just make sure you're okay first, that you look after yourself. So practice self-care. Understand your thoughts. Uh, sometimes our thoughts control us rather than we control our thoughts. I don't know if you've ever lied in bed at, at night just worrying incessantly and you just go around and around in circles because you can think about a problem. There's nothing you can do about it when you've got your head on the pillow, but you, your brain just keeps going. So the idea of well-being is just, just try and control your thoughts a bit. Like, don't just be... a at the mercy of your thoughts. Understand your thoughts and help them work better for you. Explore your emotions a bit. Uh, sometimes we act emotionally. Uh, sometimes some of us even have a hair trigger in certain contexts where we get triggered by things. But if we understand what we get emotional about, that can be a helpful thing. Build positive relationships. That's a, a big theme. Um, sometimes we have to deal with people who are a bit toxic, but it's not super helpful if everyone in your life is toxic. That's not a real great place to be. So try and look for some people in this life that you can, you can travel with and that aren't toxic, right? So that's a good one as well. And improve your resilience. In other words, what are things that you can do in your life so that you don't get overwhelmed by challenges and problems? So, you know, the, the idea of well-being is you imagine that there's the, not imagine, but you think about that these kind of categories and then what are some things that you can do deliberately each day to build these things in your life, right? The interesting thing is they don't talk in the wellbeing space about, well, you really should look after your mental health. They say it's good for you to look after your mental health. See how that gets framed? Uh, they say things like, you know, build self-care into your day. There's activities and practices that you can deliberately choose to improve your self-esteem, to relax, to sleep better during the day, to cope with the challenges of every day. Careful about what you eat, you know. Eat, uh, be careful not to drink too much alcohol or tobacco because they, they can become short-term coping mechanisms, not actually solving your problems, you know. What the idea of well-being is, is just, just be in control of your life a little bit. And the reason I raised that this morning is because I thought, you know, looking at this idea of armour of God, there's a whole heap in this about Christian well-being. There's a whole heap in this about being spiritually healthy. Now, in the well-being world that they talk about, one of the aspects of a holistic human being is spiritual health. Um, but what does spiritual health look like? Well, a really interesting way to read Ephesians 6 is Paul tells us here what spiritual health looks like. And what I'd like to do today is break up the passage into three areas. Uh, verses 10 to 13, Paul's using the example of armour to help us to understand what a healthy Christian spiritual life looks like. And he starts off with introducing the idea of the armour in verses 10 to 13. And then in verses 14 to 17, he talks about how we use the armour or what practices we can do as a Christian in our daily lives that can prepare us, so to speak, for life. And then interestingly, the last section I want to look at briefly is in chapter 6, verses 18 to 19, where I want to introduce us to what I hope might be a little bit of a new way of thinking about prayer. So that's where we're going to travel today in the passage. So let's go back to the beginning at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. <coughs> now, I apologise for my cough. I'm not um, 
spreading disease. I've got a post-viral cough, so I'm okay. But I do apologise if I cough every now and again. Um, all right, okay, so let's dive in. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand and after you have done everything to stand. That's pretty, pretty exciting. So verse 10, uh, Paul starts off with the phrase, be strong. But unlike the well-being movement, Paul's not saying your only resource is yourself. You have a power beyond yourself that you are actually a part of, that you can actually enjoy being a part of, because he says be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Who is the Lord? Well, the Lord is Jesus. So Jesus is in you. And remember when Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, I won't leave you as orphans, I'll send the counsellor to be with you and he will be with you and strengthen you. Uh, we're told in 1 Peter, again in chapter 1 this time, that God has sent us the Holy Spirit who is sanctifying us to make us stronger, to be more like Jesus, maturing us to become more like Jesus. So we have a power at work in us that has saved us and is sanctifying us. The word sanctify just means to make more holy, to grow, to strengthen. So you have a growing power in yourself. And as, as I think about that, I think um, one, of, one of the things I always wanted to do as a young man that I never got to do uh, in this life was I'd always wanted to ride a horse bareback. Now, I've ridden a horse a couple of times and it wasn't a great experience and didn't have a brake or an accelerator and I found the steering quite difficult. But I've really always just really admired seeing a human being sitting on a horse, particularly with no saddle, no stirrups, no reins, just holding onto the mane, when you see a powerful animal galloping down a beach, people are already thinking of the song Horses as I'm, as I'm saying this, you imagine this horse galloping down the beach and all you need to do is hold on and actually get your body to be in the same rhythm as the body of the horse. That's the image that it's work here in this passage. The power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in you, he is working in you, he is like a magnificent galloping steed. He asks you to partner with him as he is doing what he is doing in your life. Another analogy might be a sailing ship. Imagine if we were sailing on the water and that moment that we unfurl the spinnaker to take full advantage of the wind that is blowing and we just let that wind blow us. It's like partner with, work with God as he is working in you. And that's why in verse 11 Paul goes on to say, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There, there, there you go. The devil is scheming to try and separate you from God, but he can't separate you from God. But he can make your life miserable. That's what he's going to try and do. He's going to try and accuse you and he's going to try and tempt you so that you are, yourself are not satisfied with your own Christian witness. That you are submerged in guilt and fear, where you doubt. All those things are his schemes to try and take you away from Jesus. And in verse 12, you know, Paul re-emphasizes that. Actually, in your life, your struggle isn't with uh, toxic people necessarily just who you come across in your life. It's actually with Satan who is trying to dull your witness as a Christian. So how do we oppose him? Well, according to the passage in verse 11, we can make a stand. Now, 
I'm not saying that as Christians we're not activists, we are. We are in this world to make this world a better place. But I think in this passage, this is particularly talking about your particular Christian life. And here there is action in that standing, but you need to stand first. So standing is uh, a really interesting image too when you think about the context of this armour idea that Paul's using because the early readers would have straight away gone to a Roman legionnaire, I think, like because the Romans were all over the place when this was written. And when you think about a Roman soldier, the armour he's going to describe in a minute is very similar to what a Roman soldier used to wear according to the pictures I've seen anyway. But the interesting thing about warfare in the ancient world was... uh, the idea was it was almost like a rugby scrum where two rugby teams are clashing into each other and the, 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 the times um, of, of these days, the weapons were only short so you had to close in close to actually fight your enemy. Today we've invented terribly horrible weapons that we can kill people across the horizon, over the horizon. We don't even have to be in proximity with our opponents anymore to wage warfare but in these days... Literally, two rugby teams would have to come together and whichever team stood under the pressure of the clash of that initial clash of arms would be probably the one who won. So this idea of standing is not just... That's a bit weird. It's not like standing in a bus shelter waiting for a bus in your battle against Satan, you know, stand in the bus shelter or stand in the kitchen while you're waiting for the kettle to boil. That's not that kind of standing. It's stand in rank with your fellow soldiers, with your shields locked, ready for impact, ready to embrace the impact of the other army and be ready to respond. That's the stand we're talking about here. And in our struggle, we're going to have victory. Now, in verse um, 13, he's invited us to put on the armour of God. The second section in verse 14 to 17 describes the armour of God and shows us how we can have practices in our daily Christian life that can prepare us for battle, so to speak. So in verse 14, again, reiterates that sense of stand firm. So we've got that idea. We've got the soldiers who are standing firm. What do they look like and what are they doing while they're standing? Well, we've already gone through some of these items before, so I won't go into great detail, but I'll just speak to this section briefly. Um, but the idea of the belt, I think, is very central. So a belt is important. It holds you your clothes together. But also, if any of you have ever done any weightlifting, you'll know that a belt can actually be something you can use to strengthen your core. So when you weightlift a really big amount of weights and you deadlift, um, you get to a point where you're almost maxing out. And so what you do is you put a belt on. Have you seen weightlifters wear those big leather belts, real chunky ones? That's not to hold their shorts up. That's so that what they do when they're just about to lift the weight is they breathe out and push down on their diaphragm and strengthen their core so all the muscles in your core get activated. So what I think is going on with the belt is there's a sense of build your core strength. Now some of us might do Pilates. Has anyone here ever done a, a plank? Hands up if you've ever tried a plank. A few of us have, yeah, yeah. How many seconds? Who's the longest plank? Who's done, anyone done five seconds? Ten? <laughs> 20, <laughs> 30, 40, 50. Okay, I'm not going to keep going. I'm already impressed. That's really great. Let's give them a round of applause. 50-second plank, that's amazing. But what I'm thinking is happening as, as I'm a soldier in battle, I breathe down on my belt and I strengthen my core because your core is what's going to keep you strong. So what's Paul trying to talk about here with good, healthy Christian practices that are going to be good for our well-being? Two things. First of all, what is your truth in life? 
What is your truth? What do you draw a line under and say, that's my red line, I'm not going to cross that? Because if you decide what that line is in advance, you'll know it when you need it. That's the first thing. And every now and again, you need to buckle it a bit tighter. When you weight lift, sometimes when you have a really big weight, you go beyond comfortable with the belt and you really squeeze yourself in. And sometimes we need the truth like that, don't we? We really need to know what our truth is sometimes. And often it's when you have those really important moments, like you lose a loved one. If you lose a loved one, what is your truth? They're the times you really need to know the truth, don't you? Because I've had very dear friends who've given up on Christianity because they've lost a loved one. And you may have actually found that um, really difficult, dark moment yourself. I've lost many relatives and people I love. And it's very tempting to say, God, where are you? Why did you let that happen? And it's at that moment that I need to buckle up my truth and strengthen my core because what I need to remember is God is good. That's my truth. The gospel is that I am a sinner and I need a saviour. That is my truth. And I go back to basics when I have those things happen. Or if someone's really mean to me at church and I find that it's really difficult to turn up the next week, sometimes I've got to buckle my truth. So the truth is really important. But not only the truth, but we also need a breastplate to cover our vital organs. You don't often see soldiers with bottom armour. Have you ever seen a picture of a soldier in any era with bottom armour? I don't think I've ever seen bottom armour because you don't really need to protect your bottom. It's important to sit on, the glutes are good to keep you standing, but what you need to protect is your heart and your lungs and your arteries and that's what a breastplate is. And what is that? It's righteousness and righteousness is associated with truth. Because all righteousness is, is do the right thing. When you know your truth, seek to do the right thing according to your truth. Now, this needs preparation. You see that? You're starting to realise that? You know, soldiers don't just walk into battle with a strong core, ready to fight. I don't know what they did in Roman soldier days. They probably sword fight at each other. They probably cleaned their shields. They probably wrestled each other, <laughs> in the nude probably, like the Greeks did, I don't know. I've seen photos, not photos, paintings. <laughs> they used to wrestle. I don't know why I added that detail there, I must be tired. <laughs> but they prepared for the day of battle, right? So you have to build up your core, you don't just have a core. So you need to, if you're going to ride on the horse, you need to practice that. You can't just jump on a horse and expect to hold on. So here we see that you've got to be ready to do the right thing. In addition, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Your faith protects you from the accusations and the temptations. Your, your faith in Jesus is what you hold every day. And it can be heavy some days. Some days holding a shield, it's like you want to put it down and have a rest. But you can't put Jesus down. You can't put your faith down because you never know when that accusation thought might assail you. You need to just go, oh, hang on, there's a thought that I don't like. I need to protect myself. I, I trust Jesus. He's pretty powerful. When, when, when someone jeers at me as I'm riding down the beach on my horse and says, look at that idiot riding on a horse. He's got no idea how to ride the horse. I put my faith in the horse and its ability to continue to carry me through that situation, not in my ability to look cool. And that's what faith is. That extinguishes flaming arrows. So they're the attacks of the evil one, the ranged weapons, if you like. In verse 17, put on the, salva the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Briefly, what is that? We need to capture our thoughts, Christians. 
we really can do that a lot better. Now, I think the problem with Christian well-being is sometimes we don't think of it as a good thing. We think it as a should do this. Do you, do you ever have, fall into that trap? Oh, I feel guilty because I'm not reading the Bible enough or I feel guilty because I'm not praying enough or I really should go to church more often. When I go, I don't really care about anyone. I just want to go and have something to eat and sit there and listen to some dude and go home. I'm tired. And then you feel guilty. Do you feel guilty? I do. I feel guilty. But here we're to capture those guilty thoughts and remember that we have a helmet of salvation. What is salvation? Forgiveness. We have forgiveness. We're not perfect. And so we don't have to think badly of ourselves. We can stand firm knowing that we are saved. Now in Revelation 12, the devil is described as an accuser who accuses us before God day and night. That's terrifying. Like the devil is so keen to try and steal us away. He's also telling God how how bad he thinks we are. And he's trying to get us to think badly of ourselves. But in Romans 12, Paul says in verse 2, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the Christian practices of reading the Bible and praying are not about, oh, I should do that. It's actually like well-being. It's like if I put a few practices in place every day that are going to help me to strengthen my core and capture my thoughts, I am going to be able to turn my negative thoughts into positive thoughts. And when the devil attacks me, I'm going to be a bit more robust and I'm going to be able to withstand his attacks. Because here we're told that one day the day of evil will come. And what do you think the day of evil is? Well, the day of evil is the day of trial. Now, that could be many things, couldn't it? It could be the last judgment day, so we want to stand on the judgment day, right? Yep, tick, that's the day of evil. So we're preparing for that day. It puts all this stuff in a positive, doesn't it? Because we're preparing for the day of challenge. Uh, I worked for a minister once, an old, old minister, who said to me that every trial that you have on earth is preparing you for your biggest trial. Every trial you have is preparing you for your biggest trial. So if you, like, use the example I used before, if you lose a loved one and, and maybe making it worse, you don't do the right thing in that situation, that actually can be a moment of learning rather than a moment of guilt. Does that make sense? So here's an example. Uh, my wife Lou lost her father when I was only 24, 25, and I'd never lost anyone before. And we were devastated. Her dad passed away, and Lou was really sad. And I don't think I did a great job looking after her. I don't think I did a great job looking after her. Because Lou and I spent the morning together after her dad passed away, and then the afternoon. And then in the evening, I got a phone call that the, um, the youth magazine that we were printing, there was something wrong with the photocopier. And this person rang me and said, oh, look, I know you lost your father-in-law, but would you mind coming into the office to help us to sort out this, this magazine? Because everybody's not turned up and left this person by themselves. And, you know, I needed to go and see if I could help that person. I think that was my memory anyway, or something like that. But this is the mistake I made. I do remember this bit. I turned to Lou and I said, do you mind if I just pop into work for, for tonight? And she said, yes, that's okay. And my mistake was thinking that she was okay with me going in when she wasn't. And I went in and I worked on that. Anyway, you know what? Like maybe 10 years later, Lou said to me, gee, I wish you hadn't gone into work the day my dad died. (laughs) And do you know what that did? It made me sad and it did make me repent and say, I'm sorry, Lou, I'm, I'm sorry. But do you know what it did in another way? 
it made me a better husband. And that's what Christian well-being is all about. Let's stop thinking that we have to carry the guilt of our past failings around with us in our back pockets all the time when actually we're forgiven. Let's renew our thinking and transform our thinking and realise God actually helps us to go through trials so that we can prepare for our biggest trial. And when I asked him what's the biggest trial, he said, your own death. He said, Stuart, when you go through a hard thing, even at work, a simple thing at work that goes wrong and you get frustrated or whatever, it's teaching you to be resilient and trust in God. Put on the armour of God. Think of the things that you've learnt from the scriptures because when you get to your deathbed, which we all will unless Jesus comes back, one day I'll be lying on a bed by myself and the doctors won't be able to help me. And I don't want to be doubting God at that moment. I don't want to be scared of death at that moment. I want to be singing praises going, I'm about to go home. And you do see that with some people who pass away, don't you? How did they get to that point? Because they've spent their whole life in Christian well-being, living in the victory of Christ, failing, learning again, trying, trusting in God, sometimes falling off the horse, not just finding it hard to hang on, on their bottoms, on the sand while the horse is going. But the horse doesn't keep running. He comes around and says, come on, man, jump back up on. Come on, sister, get back on. And that's what's going on in this passage today. And when we come to the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, this is both a defensive and an attacking weapon in an armory. When Jesus comes back at the end of the days, it says he's going to have the sword of the word coming out of his mouth. When the devil tried to tempt Jesus, what did he do? The devil even used the word of God to try and tempt Jesus in the desert. He said to Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything. And Jesus said, no, no, you've got to worship the God. I, I worship God alone. When he said, look, you're hungry, why don't you turn this rock into some bread? Jesus used the word of God and said, actually, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that God speaks. And so Jesus had obviously, from a young age, drenched himself in the word of God, which he actually wrote, actually, as you think about it. <laughs> but he did, didn't he? He knew the scriptures. So when we read the Bible, it's not because we should do it. We're preparing for the day of evil. Not just the ultimate one, but every other day of evil that will lead up to that. And the word of God can actually inform how we should act all the time. And that's described like a sword, which is a very useful implement. Now, I wanted to finish by saying, um, in verses 18 to 19, we see a new way of thinking about prayer. Pray at all times in the Spirit and at all... Um, in the spirit on all occasions and all kinds of prayers and requests rather than feeling guilty if we don't pray guilty is actually a practice that the christian can do every day to actually build all these things up on a daily basis let me tell you two quick things to finish i said to ethan this week do you ever do any well-being things he said funny you should say that dad i'm just doing 30 days of thankfulness I said, okay, what's 30 days of thankfulness? He said, every day I have to think of 30 things that I'm thankful for for 30 days. And I said, wow, that's a lot. And, and he said, yeah. And I said, are you doing it? He says, oh, most days. And I said, okay, cool. And I said, what's been the impact? He says, I'm becoming more positive, which is terrifying because Ethan's the most positive person I've ever met. 
he'd come home from school every day and I'd say over dinner every night, how was your day? Today was the best day of my whole life. That was his response every day. Why? I got into king in handball. It was the best day of my whole life. Like, that's Ethan, right? But he even sees the benefit of training his brain and capturing his thoughts. And this is where modern science and modern well-being have caught up with Christianity, actually, because he's got this idea that if I think positive, I will be positive, and I can train my brain to be positive. And I said to him a few years ago, and he said to me this, he said, Dad, do you remember when you said, in the morning when you wake up, pray for three things you're thankful for? before you start the day and when you finish the day pray for three things you're thankful for and the science of that is if your brain starts the day thinking three positive things and finishes the day three positive things over time you will train your brain to be positive if you pray through the positive things you will also be training your brain to be content in being connected to God and trusting in him alone you see that now, what is the outcome of being thankful or, or whatever? Well, I've got a quick story to tell you, um, two, two quick stories. First of all, two weeks ago, I think, I was at the semi-final where the Sharks played South. And I was at the ground and a South supporter, this young lady, came past with a scarf. This is no hack on Marty because he's not like that. He's rubbing his South jersey. This lady comes past and waves her scarf in my face as she walks past me to go and get a beer. I'm like, hmm, interesting. And then she comes back and sits with her boyfriend behind me and she's waving her scarf in front of my head and my face and his face like this. So we couldn't see the game. Because I've been training my brain and practising Christian well-being, flex my core... <laughs> Ready to, ready to pray. And I did pray. And I said, God, this chick is either a Christian sister who needs to grow in her maturity <laughs> or she's someone who doesn't know you yet. So I pray whoever she is that you'd either call her to know you so that she wouldn't think that South is the most important thing, sorry, Marty, in the whole world or because Jesus is more important to, to Marty or that she might actually grow in her maturity. But my mate next to me, turns around to her and he says, I'm not going to hurt you, but if you put that scarf on my face one more time, I'm going to belt your boyfriend. <laughs> and I wanted to give you that analogy to say that's an example of what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6. How do you respond to the scarf? Now, to encourage you, I'm not a saint because 20 years ago I was a youth minister and I was playing a game of soccer on a soccer field and there was a defender who was wanting my shirt so bad that he wouldn't let go of it. And he was grabbing onto it all the time. Now, I'm in a Christian soccer team full of teenagers in my youth group and young adults. All the families of those kids in my youth group are watching the game. And we're playing in the church league. And this guy's grabbing my shirt. And I turn around and go, mate, if you want my shirt, how about I take it off and I give it to you? And he goes, come on, let's go. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And he goes, hit me. And I said, no, no, you hit me. And he goes, no, no, you hit me. And we were nose to nose. And he, he, he was like, come on, you hit me. I tell you, if he, if he had to hit me, I would have gone and hit him back. And then in the middle of this angry display, I turned and looked at the sideline. I'm like, oh. <laughs> there was a lot of, lot of dis disappointment on the faces on the sideline. And you know what I had to do that night? I had to preach a sermon on controlling your anger. I kid you not. <laughs> And guess how I started the sermon. But so please don't hear me say that as Christians we are always going to get it right. But I think the difference between my reaction in those two instances 
is what I was doing during the day, every day, during the week. I think we respond better to the challenges, the day of evil, and we stand better if we prepare for the day. And so, Christians, please be encouraged that when you hear um, people like me saying, you know, it's good to pray, I think sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes I make, might make you feel guilty. Oh, Stu's saying I should pray and read the Bible. And sometimes you might even think, oh, isn't there any other application to being a Christian than pray and read the Bible? Well, the two things I want to say is, we're not saying you should read the Bible and pray, but as you do, it's like planking. You build your core. And then when the day of evil comes, you can stand. Because we can't always be there for each other every day, can we? It's nice to be together with a group of people who aren't toxic to help each other. But we won't be there on Tuesday morning on the train when someone pushes past. Or when someone takes advantage of you in some way this week. Or, or you're challenged or threatened. But what we can do is we can pray for one another. And that's how I want to finish the sermon today. Let's do that right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray... Uh, today with all of this in mind that we might be alert and always help us to keep on praying for all, for each other and all the lord's people lord we pray also for each other that whenever we speak words may be given to us so that we will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel and we pray these things in jesus name amen